Welcome to All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair, and me, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker. recording takes place online in the era of safe physical distancing. Our featured guest today is Kristen Dunyon. Kristen grew up in Essex County, the southernmost tip of Canada, and now lives in Toronto. She's the author of six books, including Tarry This Night and The Dirt Chronicles, a Lambda Literary Award finalist, Her short fiction is widely published, most recently in Best Canadian Stories 2020, Foglifter, Orca, A Literary Journal, and Toronto 2033. Dunyan works supporting adults with mental illness and has been a healthy food advocate for marginalized communities. Her latest book is Stoop City, a short story collection which will be released this fall by Biblioasis. Kristen Dunyon will be part of the Friday Night Fiction Panel at this year's virtual BookFest Windsor Festival du Livre on October 16th. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, So you're a performance artist, a musician, an author, a housing advocate for adults living with mental illness and poverty, a food security activist. How do you carve out time for all your writing in the midst of that? Do you have a particular Mm. routine to keep yourself on track? Well, the truth is the older I get and the more interested in writing fiction I get, um, the less I'm doing some of those other things. So um, it it feels as though there isn't, there aren't enough hours in the day and I'm learning to prioritize things more strategically as I get older and um, like a bit, I'm not in a band project right now, but I haven't sold my bass rig. Like I think there's still one more band left in me. (laughs) So if you're listening out there, maybe, maybe it's our band yet to be conceived of, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of balancing writing and working a little bit less um, than full time right now in my unrelated work. And that gives me the time to write. But you know, the other thing I'm discovering is that my eyes, which have been poor my whole life, are even getting worse now. So I don't find that I can write that much in the evening. So I try to write um, on the days that I'm not going into the, the other work I do. I, I try to focus on writing and I try to focus on writing on the weekends. So anytime I have, that's kind of my, I just dig in when I can. While you're in Toronto now, you grew up in Kingsville. What impact did your early life in a small town in Southern Essex County have on your writing? Uh, um, Lots, actually. And the more confident I get with writing, I notice the more I'm able to take the risk of revisiting those locations that are, you know, they're not, they're fictionalized. They're also my memories of those locations. And that time in the 80s when I was growing up, it's quite different. So when I come home and visit, I mean, we used to only have one stoplight, but if you have been to Kingsville recently, you will know there are stoplights. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of uh, 
sort of a suburban element to that town now that didn't used to be there. So in my memory, it's still sometimes stuck in that 80s, um, late 70s, mid 80s kind of period, which was different. It wasn't as affluent. Um, it was more rural. It felt like there was still a bit of a fishing industry in the early 80s. And a lot of people's dads worked in, in the car factories in Windsor. And that's probably not the case anymore. There's been so many shifts in industry in, in Southern Ontario and in Detroit area. So um, this, the town has changed. I'm always shocked when I go back. It's very, um, it's very picturesque and it looks really nice and everything. And in my mind, it's still a little bit um, rougher. And so in this collection, there are a couple of stories that are actually in my mind set sort of in that time period. And um, I would say that as a little kid, it's an it was an ideal place to be a kid, you know, because we were outside all the time. We were playing in the woods and in the ravine and in the creek and along the lake. And that's very, that's a rich place for me to visit as an artist, especially as a writer. Um, as a teenager, it became very restrictive for me and I felt very, um, unable to relax or have fun or have a good time or connect with people very easily because I was not out. And that was a really painful thing to be quietly kind of trying to discover about myself. So I was a bit of a late bloomer. And that kind of happened after I left town, you know, and I had a little more space to explore and think things through. And um, so that is part of the element that I brought to at least um, one of the stories. It's called Adorote Devote, and it's a young uh, gay boy who's in a small town who's very Catholic, and he's an altar boy, and he loves the church, and he's conflicted with this other sexuality that is restricted and not welcome in that town. So I guess it would be important for me to say that I'm not saying the town was homophobic at that time. It just, I didn't really understand what was going on with me and I didn't understand there weren't out role models. Um, I think it's quite different now. I think there's um, a freedom around that. There's a little bit more movement. There's more people who are identifiably out and, you know, part of a community, really part of present. And that makes a huge difference for a kid. So was it back in Kingsville that you first fell in love with your writing or was it when you moved to Toronto? When, when did that happen? That happened several books in. <laughs> uh, for me, writing was sort of um, something I always thought I'd get to when I was old. And as I aged, I didn't want to, I didn't feel old yet. Um, writing was just one of many things I liked to do. And when I started, it was, uh, it was with a zine, it was with a mini comic drawing and writing. And then it was children's books. And I didn't think I would write a story. I thought I would write a picture book. And so I was very hesitant about embracing the writing aspect. And I'm not sure why, I guess um, I didn't know if I had the skills or I didn't have the confidence, but I kind of, I did keep finding that was a place to tell story, to explore. And it wasn't until, I guess, in terms of craft, it wasn't until the last, I would say, eight to 10 years that I've been really nerding out on that, you know, and, and embracing the identity of a writer over the other kind of arts things I like to do. 
Your latest book, Stoop City, is a collection of short stories about all the unique personalities that make up a neighborhood. How did this project begin? Did it start with one particular character, voice, or story? Or did you have the whole thing roughly mapped out from the outset? Um, to be honest, I had a slightly different version um, of a collection in mind, and it was very literally this neighborhood that I'm currently living in. And I really struggled with, um, I, I struggled with the notion of representation because as a white woman, I can't, it's hard to represent diversity racially and culturally and the neighborhood I live in is very diverse. And that's one of the things I love about it. I love hearing different languages. I love seeing people of all different backgrounds and we're all mingling, we're all shopping at the same grocery store. We're all waiting for the light <laughs> to change while we cross. And economically, it's a very diverse neighborhood. It's gentrifying now and there are condos cropping up all over the place, but it historically, and in my housing work, this was a neighborhood I did a lot of work in. This is primarily where I worked supporting people who were homeless or marginally housed or lived in a homeless shelter next door. And that idea was, and it ended up to be the idea that I could focus on more comfortably in terms of representation, because I feel like I've had access to different levels of income. I've had different levels of security in my life. And I see it from different perspectives that that was something I felt was okay for me to explore more deeply. Um, so what it currently is, I mean, literally I've closed the windows, but you still might hear my friends outside because it is so noisy and I didn't sleep a wink last night because it was a party night um, in the parking lot across the street. So I literally hear people's voices all the time, day and night. And while I'm sitting here, this is where the magic happens. Um, it's a very busy background behind me, but when I, from my perspective, I'm looking out a window at a, at a couple of giant buildings and I don't see all of the excitement behind me. Um, it's, it's interesting and distracting now that I see it, but while I'm sitting at the desk, I hear all these characters through the windows, like fighting or laughing, or cracking jokes, singing. There's a lot of singing and that works its way into the, into the literature, no matter what. It's literally in my ear, sirens. It's a pathway for a lot of emergency vehicles. So, I mean, if you hear it, if we hear it during the interview, you'll know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> um, so the, the, the exploration of neighborhood and the characters that actually live in this neighborhood are, are deeply inspiring to me because we're, we're all people. We, we're in different situations. We're in different circumstances, but um, we all have to go to the grocery store. You know, we all have to cross the street. We all have to mingle and get our needs met. And we're doing it kind of bumping, mostly with some safety distance right now because of the pandemic. But usually there's a lot more proximity. There's a lot more overlap in our lives. How great an impact does your work providing housing support for adults with mental health challenges, engaging in social justice initiatives have on your writing? For example, did it have any impact on the characters and stories that emerged in this book? Yeah, yeah, for sure it did. And probably for all my books, because um, I mean, while I would never take a scenario I've encountered or a person's circumstance that I've encountered in my, in my other job, I wouldn't go home and like, oh, that's great. That's a doozy. I'm going to write about that. In fact, people's lives are way too outlandish. And if you were to write down what happened to people's lives, the people that I work with, 
audiences would not accept it. They would say, this is crazy talk. Like, this is not possible. These circumstances are too stacked against a person or there's too much synchronicity appearing in this story. So um, it infiltrates everything and, and it infiltrates the way I see the world. So that indirectly is just oozing through everything, whether it's a performance art piece or whether it's a story. And literally, like back to the last question, sometimes it's literally a voice I hear on the bus. And so you, you just, as a, as a writer, you always have to have a notepad. Take the bus, you know, put on your mask, <laughs> get the sanitizer out and your pen, because you're always gonna hear a snippet that might, boom, become an entire character that walks you through a story or a novel, yeah. So we're really curious about the title, Stoop City. Where did that come from? Um, I noticed, well, after, in hindsight, I noticed that the word stoop appeared in almost every story. And um, I, had, I, I didn't know that initially. When I started to shift the stories around a little bit and to include some rural contexts and some city contexts, the truth is that my uh, a very close friend lives a block north of me in a set of brownstones and she has some really rowdy neighbors and all night long and all day they are sitting out in their you know lawn chairs blasting their music and barbecuing like basically right in front of her front door and and the, she calls them the stoops ah the stoops are out again and it's like when you're in her apartment you can hear everything it's like they're right in the front room so it's like her extended family unchosen so um i just started calling it stoop city and then i realized oh my god that is that is my book like that is what these that's bringing these stories together so the stoop is you know literally it's just that little part on the outside of any house or apartment even if you don't have like a proper stoop there's an area that in your own mind is yours. It's a territory thing. And in the case of my actual neighborhood, there's an entire giant undeveloped parking lot at a former coffee time coffee shop right across the street. And it is the playground for people that just don't have anywhere else to go. So, you know, romance, uh, drama, conflict, music, everything gets played out there. And and everyone should have a little place, like a little few inches where they can sit, you know, on a hot summer night. So what's your next project? Oh. I have started on a, a, a sequel to um, Terry This Night. I always, in my mind, there was at least two, maybe three books to that. So um, I have started the next um, series or the next series of actions and following some characters a little bit more in the future from that very creepy, um, and that book was meant to be science fiction, but by the time it was finished and published and came out, it was, um, I mean, it's, 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 it feels realistic. It, it's, it's almost like a historical fiction now. It was set in a bunker. It's a horror story. It's a patriarchal exploration of right-wing politics and white supremacy from inside of um, a polygamous cult perspective. So creepy, you know, not for everyone, but, um, but very, you know, page turner. So the next, the next book, um, I felt politically and just socially and just as an artist, it was my duty to explore instead of scarcity, which I did in that novel, the, the notion of abundance. Because when we believe in abundance, regardless of our circumstance, 
we believe in possibility and optimism, and we believe in a way of living that will provide not just for me and mine and my family, but also for yours and whoever else is next door. So the notion of abundance, um, which ironically, um, of course, I'm writing this during the pandemic and in lockdown when we couldn't even get toilet paper in this part of the city. So it was a bit of a struggle. Uh, I was like, hmm, <laughs> I'm always writing against the current of what's happening in the world. So um, that's one of the next projects for me, for sure. Well, would you like to read something for our listeners? Sure. So I'm going to read from the very, um, just a few minutes from the very beginning of the first story in the collection. And it is called, Now is the Time to Light Fires. It's like last winter when she took that girl Lena on a road trip and left me to finish my thesis in the sub-zero gloom. Marsana is gone, but her chattels prevail and everything, even the weeping fig she lugged from Ikea, evokes her. My lorazepam shuffle wears a triangle from couch to bed to toilet back to couch where I curl in her threadbare sweater. Sleepless, dreamless, I up my dose. The department offers bereavement leave and contracts my replacement, a kindness that permits me to stay home forever pantless. I stack my research and drape it with cloth. Now who will argue the importance of historical processionalism with archaeological data from pre-literate cultures? I draw the blinds. I stop changing, stop bathing. I eat cereal dry out of the box by the handful. I'm not me anymore. I'm husk, shucked, and forgotten. After the truck hits, that's grief. Hydraulic pistons fire and the open box bed lifts at its hinges. A dumping, a burial. Nobody calls, nobody visits. Every day is Sunday. I light a candle. You can come home now, I say to webbing that ghosts the empty corners of our room. I say to the drunk spun moths, come home. One day, she does. Marsana's lingerie drawer slides open and her garter dangles like a question mark. My spine zings with apprehension. Her perfume spritzes, infusing the room with her scent. The bed sheet turns down on her side. I whisper, is that you? There's an indentation on pillow and mattress, a definite presence. You're here, I say. She shimmers, and I kick off bunched socks, toss my t-shirt, join her on the bed. I trail fingertips down my throat, collarbones, my scarred solar plexus. I falter shy at last. She hurled herself at me the night we met, a hastily bought rose between her teeth. I relive our drunken tango at last call, the halting zigzag lurch back to my old place, necking against darkened storefronts, groping under clothes. Now, lying in our dusty bed, my hand works alone, intent and sorrowful, but a censoring pall hovers. Perhaps, in her transformed state, nebulous, ethereal, she feels sexually inadequate. What allure does the primal realm hold for her now? I rest sheepish palms above the comforter and, suckling close, she spoons me instead. 
it's not warm flesh, but it's something. Old soup comes to mind, some kind of gelatinous substance, and I can hardly breathe for fear of crushing her in the night, like she's a newborn or a kitten and not the crystalline essence of herself, her soul infused with her distinctly flawed personality that has transcended time and space, traveled countless unknown dimensions, returning against all odds. All summer long, we bump around the condo, relearning how to share the space. Nights, she settles against me and I contemplate an eternity of abstention. Sex with Marsana used to be like shouldering an oversized grain bag, pouring, pouring an endless pile. The thinning rush over time, a lessening stream, the pitcher and pat to empty. In her afterlife, she prefers not quite sisterly camaraderie, cuddling, hugging, holding hands. I'm pent, I simmer, but at least I'm not alone. There we go. Thank you for joining us, Kristen. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's been great to be here. Thank you so much. Kristen Dunyon's new book is Stoop City. She will be one of the authors participating in BookFest Windsor Festival du Livre, which will be held virtually this year, October 15th through 18th. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts, or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.